All right, if you've got a Bible, open it up to John chapter, what chapter am I in? 16, John chapter 16. I'm going to finish up today our series on prayer. And uh, to do that, let me go back to the beginning a little bit. We have an acronym. It's Prayer Rips. Prayer is relational. Prayer is internal. Prayer is persistent. And today we'll get to the S. But let me say that the S is not really like just the end. Uh, the S is more like, if you think about it like a word, it's not just the end of the word. It's like the bold or the italicis or the underline over the entire word. All of this has come out of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so we've taken this whole series out of the Lord's Prayer. The first part, the R, our Father, the R is relational. And prayer is relational. And in understanding relational prayer, remember that prayer can be personal because he's our father. Remember that it's powerful because he's our father in heaven. Remember that it's purposeful because his will be done. Next prayer is internal. In the type of prayer we're talking about today, we're not just talking about the type of prayer that is worried about what's going on out there, but the type of prayer that is more worried about what's going on in here. We're calling it transformative prayer. So uh, in transformative prayer, we look at those simple statements in the Lord's Prayer, like give us our daily bread, and we see it's so much more than just give us bread. It's more about am I content in the gospel? The next part of it is more about do I have an identity built on the gospel? The last part then, am I living freely in the gospel? And so prayer is internal. It's doing a work in here so that then we can live the gospel out differently. Prayer is relational. Prayer is internal. And then last week, we saw the story that Jesus told after the Lord's Prayer account in Luke. And the whole point of the story is this, that we ought to be persistent in our prayers. We ought to never stop praying when we're praying as Jesus taught us how to pray. And that's the whole point of the Lord's Prayer. It was a response to a question, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus taught him how to pray, relationally, internally, persistently. Today, we're going to end where Jesus ended in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. At the very end of the story Jesus told last week, he said at the end, and how much more will the Father give you the Holy Spirit? He was kind of showing us, well, what's the end conclusion of prayer? It's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And it's not just the end result. It, it then comes back and it fuels all of our prayer. The famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon, not a direct quote here, but said, in essence, this. There are two types of prayer. Prayers in the Spirit and non-Christian prayers. Prayers in the Spirit and non-Christian prayers. That we either are praying in the Spirit or we're just speaking words. Even if we go back to the very beginning of our series, the initial prompting of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, Jesus told the story, and the story was about a hypocrite who prayed, and then about the disciple who prays. And the hypocrite doesn't pray relationally, they pray almost contractually. They don't pray internally, they pray externally to be heard. They don't pray persistently, they just pray flippantly, just throwing up words. No spirit. But the prayer of a disciple, the prayer of a Jesus follower is in the spirit. 
So this morning, I want to talk about what spirit-filled prayer looks like. In order to do that, we're going to study this passage in John chapter 16, which is one of the most well-known passages about the, the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Just as a way of, I guess, introduction, if you're new around here, uh, we do believe in the Trinitarian nature of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that though there is one God, He exists in three persons, all equally God. This morning, we'll see all three of them in the text. We start in verse 12 of chapter 16. It says, I, this is Jesus, still have many things to say to you, the disciples, but you, the disciples, cannot bear those things he still wants to say, them now. Jesus had something he wanted to teach them, but he knew if he taught it to them that it would crush them. And so he said, I'll teach it to you later once you get the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a few things, probably about a half a dozen or so, that I would say could fit into this category. But let me point out three of them this morning, just as a way of introduction. Things that the disciples seemed to learn after the Holy Spirit fell, more so than they learned before. And whenever these things came up before, they always seemed to be a problem. And so Jesus was right. They weren't yet ready to handle them. But after the Holy Spirit fell, they could in, in three words, suffering, mission, and action. Suffering, mission, and action. That to endure suffering the way a Christian ought to be able to, you, we must be able to pray in the Spirit. To be on mission the way a Christian ought to be on mission, we must not pray in the Spirit. To take the consistent actions of living out the gospel, living in holiness, um, uh, utilizing your spiritual gifts, having the boldness and the courage that a Christian is supposed to have. We need to be able to pray in the Spirit. And these are three things that uh, the disciples really learned after the Holy Spirit fell. Before the Holy Spirit fell, they hadn't really known suffering all too much. Afterward, they endured suffering beyond what any of us would probably ever face, most of them to their death. After the Holy Spirit fell, they learned how to pray, and they stayed focused on the mission, never getting distracted. After the Holy Spirit fell, they took actions of boldness and courage. They utilized gifts of uh, healing and prophecy and preaching that were powerful. Once they learn how to pray in the Spirit, they could endure all suffering, stay on mission, and take any action. It would be good for us to know how to do this too. Spiritless Christians and spiritless churches, one of the easiest indicators of realizing then, have we understood how to walk in the Spirit or how, as Jude said, to pray in the Holy Spirit is to ask ourselves, do we know how to endure suffering or does the slightest thing make us run, close our doors and hide? Do we know how to stay on mission, not getting distracted by uh, the things of the world or, or culture in general? Do we know how to stay on mission? Do we know how to take every action that we have been called to take as followers of Christ because we are empowered by his spirit? Spirit-filled Christians and spirit-filled churches know how to do these things. 
And even as we talk through this, I'm also going to talk about this individually, but I'm also going to talk somewhat corporately as the whole body of Christ, because that'll kind of transition us into our next series beginning next week, which will be two weeks, where we take all of these individual prayer things we've been talking about and then begin to apply them corporately. And even in our own country, over the last year, we have seen how it has been easy for, I'll say, the church as a whole to begin in our country to see a little bit of suffering and for it to be easier to lose our way, to see mission drift begin to emerge where we forget that the mission of the church is just the proclamation of the gospel where it's been easier for the church to, uh, as a whole to kind of cave in and to stop taking the, the action, the boldness that it needs. And where either the, the Christian or the church is not able to, to maintain these things, we have to ask, is the spirit present as it ought to be? Now, what does it look like for the spirit to be present? Well, Jesus tells us. It's so helpful when he does that. Starting in verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, which was again on the day of Pentecost, he will guide you, that's the disciples and us, into all the truth. How do you know you're praying in the spirit? The first way we know that we're praying in the spirit is that prayer in the spirit is guided by and to truth. Prayer in the spirit is guided by and to truth. In each of these, I'll tell you what it looks like. I'll also tell you then how you know maybe if you've stepped out of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is talking about a spirit-filled person. And he says, one of the ways that you know you're getting into the depths of God and you're, and you're experiencing the spirit is that you begin to think differently. It's as if to say that um, pre our salvation and pre the Holy Spirit, we have a mindset. And in that mindset, we think certain things are wise and certain things are foolish. But then when we experience God and the transformative power of the gospel and we are then transformed by the Holy Spirit or we begin to pray in the Spirit, then all that we once thought, we no longer think like that. And the danger, if I can use that word of Christianity, is that this begins to invade every part of your life. Your sexuality and your, uh, your finances and um, the way you have uh, relationships with another, uh, one another, uh, um, the way you forgive or release bitterness, like, like, it, like it goes after everything. And, and the whole point is that you begin to, to change how you used to think into how you now think as God thinks. And you know that you have gotten apt at praying in the spirit when your mind is being renewed. When you used to fear like this, but now you walk in faith. When you used to think I could never change, but now you know you could. When you used to think I could never forgive him or her, but now you do. You could never love your neighbor as yourself or consider others as more important than yourself. But now in the gospel, as you pray in the spirit, you begin to. See, prayer in the spirit always leads us and guides us into truth. I said another way, if you get to the end of your prayer time and you want to know, was that spirit-filled prayer or not, here's a quick check. If at the end result of your prayer, it would lead you to an action or a thought that contradicts Scripture, you went astray somewhere. At that moment, you're no longer praying in the Spirit, you're praying 
in the flesh. If, if you've labored in prayer and you get to the end and you say, okay, this clear sinful action is probably okay. No spirit-filled prayer. If whatever the end result of the prayer contradicts with truth, it wasn't the spirit that was leading it. The spirit always guides us to truth, brings us to truth. So the easiest check is to know the truth of scripture. This is when scripture and prayer work in tandem. There are certain things I don't have to guess about. Certain things you don't have to guess about. Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it this or is that? Well, no, we just go by the truth of scripture we pray that then, and, and then really what prayer then is just the Holy Spirit cementing in you to go do that which you know is right and true. That's the first thing spirit-filled prayer does. It will always guide you into truth, and it will begin to change the thinking. This is why all along during this series, I've told you, only pray this way if you're actually serious about Jesus. If you're not, then don't. Because if you begin to pray like this, the only end result is that you're a disciple of Christ and everything changes. Number two, Jesus continues. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. What he's saying there is that there is like this progression now of what Jesus has spoken and now the Holy Spirit is just gonna take what Jesus has spoken and he's gonna speak it to us. Number two, prayer in the spirit means he will guide you down the right path. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He doesn't want this to be confusing. He doesn't want you to be confused. He doesn't want you to be wondering, well, I don't know where to go. No, prayer in the spirit then is to help us create peace in the midst of chaos, to create clarity in the midst of confusion. Prayer in the spirit then, uh, as we're praying in, uh, he's taking the things that have been spoken and the things that will be, he's declaring them to us almost as a way of like showing us the path he wants to walk. In the moments then of confusion in your life, of wonder, what is God's will? What am I supposed to do? Right? And High school, it's always like, should I go to this college or that college? God, what's your will? I don't know. What do we do? We, we pray in the spirit and he begins to reveal the way. And this is at every age and stage. In fact, one of the signs of spiritual maturity is that we just have greater and greater clarity of the path we're to walk. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is just opening it. And Another sign of spiritual maturity then is even in the midst of chaos and confusion out there, the Holy Spirit brings a clarity in here of just keep walking behind him in truth. And so Holy Spirit prayer does bring chaos where there's, or I'm sorry, does bring some clarity where there's confusion. And I mean, even in 1 Corinthians, Paul says God is a God of order and he wants to bring that to us. And so learning spirit-filled prayer and how to pray in the spirit in these, in these first two, I mean, it's very personally, like, rewarding. Like, that's what Jesus said at the beginning. When you pray in this way, your Father who sees in heaven will reward you. Well, what's part of the reward? Part of the reward is you get to walk in truth, your mind gets transformed. Whoops, your mind gets transformed, and you know the will of God and how to walk 
And this comes out of spirit-filled prayer. First two things Jesus talks about. Third thing Jesus tells, and really he's just teaching us here about the Holy Spirit. He says, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. I already read that. Okay, next line. He will glorify me. He will glorify me. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will exist to bring glory to himself. There are times in our services or in any environment, really, um, and it's not that we ever pick songs that we don't think are like glorifying of God, but there will be moments where I'll be kind of sitting in the back and, and I'll be, you know, singing along and listening and, and I'm like, okay, like there's like, this is good and all of that. But, but then the songs will begin to transition or even the lyrics will begin to transition. And they're even more clearly than other songs, just elevating Jesus, just elevating the gospel. And it's almost like in those moments, the Holy Spirit just goes, why? Because we've, we've been reminded in that moment what the, what the clear like, aim of the Holy Spirit is, and that is to elevate Jesus, to glorify Jesus, to bring up Jesus. And so what does it mean to elevate or to glorify Jesus in our prayers? Well, in one way, it simply means like to pray in such a way that we would end up more like Jesus, where, where I'm praying like this, and, uh, and if at the end result of my prayer, it's something that doesn't lead to holiness or isn't holy or in any way diminishes holiness, well, then that's not Jesus because Jesus was holy. And so my prayer should not result in, in, in me being okay with sin or, or walking down the, a sinful path. Jesus was on mission. Jesus knew what his life was about. And so spirit-filled prayer reminds us of the mission that Christ was on. I know we used to wear bracelets that said, what would Jesus do? And some of you still have them, but you, you pray and then you get to the end. And if the end result of the prayer was not something Christ would do, then somewhere you lost the spirit because the spirit leads to elevating Jesus. And even just then in the way we pray, and we can, we can get to a place where, where our prayers begin to elevate ourselves or our prayers begin to elevate the world or, or something outside of what Christ was about. And when we fall into that, the Spirit's gone. We're like the hypocrite then. We're just saying mindless words. We're just speaking things. That's why... Jesus can say, on one hand, if you pray in my will, even greater things will you do than he did. And we see that in the New Testament. But what that doesn't mean is you can just, if you, if you figure out some magic potion, then God will do whatever you want. No, when you pray in the Spirit and you pray in such a way that glorifies Jesus, and you're praying in alignment with Jesus' will, which is what glorifies him, yeah, then things will happen. But otherwise, we're just, we're the hypocrite at the beginning of Jesus' original story. We're just speaking things. The prayer in the Spirit always elevates Jesus. And before I move on to my, my fourth point, and just stop for a second, because we see the positive and sometimes also the negative is helpful. So how do we know if our prayer has slipped out of Spirit-filled prayer? In recap, if it, if it contradicts Scripture, it's not Spirit-filled prayer. If it leads you to a path, something that is, is clearly against this, it's not. If it leads to, I think, more chaos or division, 
It's not spirit-filled prayer. Have you ever been in a room when there were two competing sides and you're talking about what the next step should be and you try to stop and pray about it? You know when it's spirit-filled prayer? When it leads to edification of the church, when it leads to unity, when it leads to the spirit and how he operates coming out to be. You know it's not spirit-filled prayer if it's leading to a breakdown of his church. Now, someone might bring up like extreme examples of heresy and that. Well, you know, that's when we bring in the rest of scripture. But what did Paul say? Live at peace as much as you are able. Spirit-filled prayer is to lead to clarity. And the last then, in recap, spirit-filled prayer will never diminish holiness. You should never get the end of your prayer and say, okay, and now this unholy thing God has blessed. Now I should always produce it in you. Fourthly then, here's how Jesus ends his little teaching on the Holy Spirit. He says, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. And therefore I said that he, the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine, Jesus's, and declare it to you, us. A lot of nouns. So there's the Father who gave it to the Son, and now the Holy Spirit takes what was the Son's and declares it and actually gives it to us, which makes us stop for a second and go, well, what is he talking about as we understand proper doctrine? What was the Father's that was given to the Son that the Holy Spirit now proclaims to you and I and we actually receive? It's the gospel. And so the other thing that spirit-filled prayer is or does is it always centers us back around the gospel. It helps us to understand the gospel. Now here I have to take a second and I have to go all the way back to the beginning of our time in this series. Talking about what the, what, what the intended purpose of when Jesus responded to the question, teach us how to pray, that this is how he answered. And the, going back to the beginning, Jesus wanted us to be, to be rooted in relational prayer with our Father in heaven. He wanted us to do the hard work of transformative prayer. And I've heard this from some of you, that like week two of this series was not an easy sermon. Week one wasn't bad. It's like, yeah, God's awesome, and he's my dad, and this is cool. And then week two was basically, if you're praying and it's not resulting in change, you're not doing it right because you're not perfect. I promise. Like there's something in you that is not yet fully aligned with the gospel and the hard work of internal prayer is God, you got to change me. You got to, because I want all that you have for me. And I know it, it, it takes a sanctifying process. And then week three was all about don't stop praying that until it happens. You're maybe, you're, you're like halfway there, don't stop. You, you, you've moved past the sinful temptation uh, and you were good and good and then you ran right back to it. You moved past the way that you used to think but then something happened and you hopped back into it. You were doing great but then you got separated from the body and now you're returning. No, persistence is like get back at it and keep praying and keep going and don't stop until it has its full effect in you. Like this is the hard work of prayer. The type of prayer that actually changes us and makes us into a disciple. I told you, 
Probably every sermon, I'm not interested in hypocritical prayers that are just words that are spoken out, but do nothing in here. The spirit-filled prayer then comes back and brings the Holy Spirit into all of this. And Holy Spirit uh, um, comes in and, and, he, and he like reminds us in a new way of the relational side of it. He does the hard work the Holy Spirit does on the inside of changing us. And he gives us the strength to not give up and to stay persistent. And the last thing, the last thing that Jesus is teaching in here and the last thing that we're going to see in this series is that the Spirit comes in then and he reminds us of the gospel in Spirit-filled prayer through this entire process. And so as all of the R-I-N-P is happening, leading to lives that are transformed, what the Spirit then does is he takes the gospel and he, and he brings it to light in every part of this process. So let's just review that. Because what spirit-filled prayer then begins to reinforce is first what we have in Christ. And so when you're praying in the spirit then, you're reminded of all that was the Father's, that was granted to the Son, that now the Holy Spirit speaks to us, which is the gospel of your salvation. And so in spirit-filled prayer then, you begin to be reminded of your salvation, a salvation that is entirely, completely rooted in grace that you did not deserve because you were dead in your sin and Christ made you alive and you begin to pray in the spirit and you're melted again by the gospel which makes all of that transformation of the mind and the body way easier. And the more you're reminded of grace, the more you're willing to surrender. The level that we understand our necessity of grace is the same level that we are willing to surrender to Christ. Like when we think, I was right here and I did most of the work and then you gave me a little bit of grace and it kind of knocked me over the edge. Thank you. Then how we typically respond is, and I'll give you a little bit of my life. But when we realize, as the gospel reminds us in spirit-filled prayer, that we were just dead in our sin, and not because anything we did, Christ just breathed a new life and brought us over here and went, ta-da! And we go, I didn't even do anything. And you brought me here. Now I'll give you everything. Now I'll give you everything. And the spirit-filled prayer reminds us of this grace over and over. And then it doesn't just stop at salvation. It then begins to remind us of our redemption, that we were dead in our sins, and we had a debt that we could never pay. But Jesus paid the whole debt for us by his blood being shed on the cross. And so now we're redeemed. And spirit-filled prayer reminds us of that. And then it goes another step further. It reminds us of our adoption. Romans 6, 25 and 26 makes this really clear to us. Like we cry out, Abba, Father, and we're reminded he's our, he's our father. And, and not only am I saved, but I'm saved and sent into a family where, where God is father. And so now I have the safety and the protection and the provision of a family. And so I pray in the spirit because it reminds me of that. And it also then reminds us of our sanctification, that we can be made holy and see, this whole process of, of transformative prayer, that you do the hard work on your own as you root yourself in, uh, in the relationship you have with the Father and you do the hard work of internal prayer like contentment and gospel identity and working through those things and you stay persistent in it and you're consistently reminded of the gospel. And as you do all of this, the first part of it is hard. 
It's hard because when sin broke into the world, sin always leads to death. And it's hard because sin then was in our very nature. But we step into salvation and God begins to refine and transform us in our minds and in our actions. And then after we worked through all of this, which is like three sermon, 3.75 sermons. Some of you are like, you're only 75% done? Okay. After we worked through all of this, oh, then what does the Holy Spirit do in prayer? These last two points. The second, he does this. He reminds us not just of what we have in Christ, but who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ. And so you get done praying all of that prayer and you get to the end of it. And regardless of how much you've sinned or messed up, regardless if you have fallen, regardless of fear that wants to take over, you get to the end of the prayer. And as you're praying in the spirit, you begin to remember who you are in Christ, that you are a co-heir with Jesus. A co-heir with Jesus that you have been uh, invited into this family and you didn't just get invited into the family as like the servant at the bottom. You got invited into the family as a co-heir with him. And even though you did some hard work of, of internal prayer over here and you worked through the things that needed to be transformed, you are simultaneously working through that and also walking in the fullness of being a co-heir. And then... It keeps going. It reminds you that you're a co-heir. And then it reminds you that you are a new creation. That the old is gone and the new has come. Like at the end of the prayer, there's almost like this build up where, where, where you're then not walking out and you're like, yes, and, and I'm new. I'm not that thing that I once was. Like Paul said, the old is gone, the new has come that you forget what lies behind and you press on to what is ahead. And when the enemy tries to remind you of that sin, of that fault, of that fear, of that mistake, of that old definition of you, you stand confidently now clothed in the Holy Spirit and you say, yeah, but I'm not that anymore. Now I'm something new. I'm something new. I had no idea Clint was on stage. That scared me. Wow. Okay. I actually thought it was heaven. Okay, so the old is gone. The next thing it reminds you of is that you're now an ambassador in Jesus. And so you've done all of this hard work and you're walking and you're an ambassador. And what's the great thing about an ambassador? That they represent and carry the full weight and power of the government that they represent. And so as you begin to walk through life as an ambassador of Jesus, you carry the full authority of the king you represent, Jesus. And so now when you've prayed in the spirit, you step into environments that are a mess, that are chaotic, and you bring clarity and peace. You step into environments where, where there are people who are like, man, we're suffering in the God. We're, we're suffering. We don't know if we can keep going. And you come in and your, your spirit strength brings strength to everybody. And you say, no, we can keep persevering and we're not going to stop. You're an ambassador for Christ. You step into any situation, no matter as dark as it can be, and you bring light. This is a spirit-filled prayer.
And so it reminds us of what we have in Christ. It reminds us of who we are in Christ. And then thirdly, when we're praying in the Spirit, we, we think of the things that have been declared from the Father to the Son to the Spirit, then to us. We are reminded of then of what we can accomplish in Christ. That we've done all of this hard spiritual work to now be something for Christ. Or as we often pray it, Father, that you would do something in me so that you can do something through me. Because the end result is not just you puffed up in all of the cute knowledge that you have gotten or the transformation that you have gotten for it to just stay with you. But now it's to go somewhere. And here's how it goes somewhere. The Spirit comes in and the first thing that begins to happen is you begin to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so you have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. You, you have those things. And when you don't have them, you go, okay, I think I need to go back and pray in the spirit a little bit because that was not loving. I don't know where my joy went. I'm not operating in self-control. But when you're rooted up in the gospel and you're praying in the spirit, then you begin to bear the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, all of them. And after we begin to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, as we continue to pray in the Spirit, what happens next is the transformation begins to happen. God takes these spiritual gifts and he just starts dropping them on us. He starts giving them to us. And we begin to act in this, um, uh, this like combination of both the natural way that we have been wired and built and born and all of that. And then God breathes like a supernatural thing on it. And we start utilizing what the Bible calls spiritual gifts. And as you pray in the spirit, then you become more rooted in them and you begin to utilize them. And when you utilize them, it's almost like people look at you and go, it's like you take on a, a, almost like a new identity. Or, or it's like a superpower. There was a, a, a couple weeks ago, we had a women's event, and uh, there was a young lady who taught. Her name is Kelly. And uh, she, on Wednesday, came in with a group of people, and she was teaching uh, her sermon that she was going to use on, on the Saturday at the women's event to like three or four of us. And we got done, and she goes, do you have any feedback? And I gave her feedback because she had asked, and so I laid it all out. And we got done, and Lindsay was like, well, what do you think? And I was like, I think there's great, like, there's, there's something there. But the whole time that Kelly was doing her practice sermon, she sat here on a chair, a stool, and she had her notes right there. Now, those of you who are at the women's event, I already know where I'm going with this. Like Saturday, halfway through her sermon, Lindsay's texting me and like, she's hilarious and everybody's laughing and she's standing up and she's moving around and she's dropping things in. It's like a completely different person on Wednesday. Like, no, it's somebody who in the spirit is now operating out of their spiritual gifts. And guess what? When Kelly did it, it was edifying and upbuilding for the entire church. And when you do it, it is too. And when all of us do it, when all of us are rooted in this type of spirit-filled prayer and we're bearing the fruit of the spirit and then we're operating in the gifts of the spirit, I said this last week, you know what we call that? Revival. We call that revival when the spirit has begun to move in mass on people. When the spirit is starting to, to move his way through an entire body because they have said, I'm no longer going to pray like a hypocrite. I'm going to pray like a follower of Jesus. And this is where it takes you. And then the last part, 
The last thing that we're rooted and reminded of as we begin to pray in this way, and that is the weapons of spiritual warfare. That we carry something in us that can fight an unseen battle. Some of you are like, I don't see the battle. (laughs) Well, if you don't see it, it's because you're not seeing in the spirit. It's because you haven't yet rooted yourself in the spirit. Because when you get rooted in the spirit, you begin to see, oh, that the battle is real. You begin to see that there is something happening in a supernatural realm, that there is a fight that is being fought. We can look out right now at culture. We can see the world. We can look and go, what's happening? I mean, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, there were things in our culture, there were traits of morality, there were stances that we by and large took that in just 20 years we've completely erased and said, yeah, let's just move on beyond that. Let's pretend that's outdated. Some of us are in situations now where we're praying for people in our lives. We're praying prayers over people who have fallen into darkness in a way that we would have never foreseen. And it's not just in small amounts. It's like in growing amounts. And I will say that it is also intriguing for us to identify that over the last 30 years or so in the church as a whole in our country, we have been very preoccupied with the idea of, are we too spirit-filled? Let's not uh, let the spirit in too much because it might get a little weird or confusing for people. And I am telling you that the season, thank God for spiritless people and churches is coming to an abrupt end. It's ending. Like, like it, it, is, it is dying. In fact, some statisticians say that 20% of churches are going to die because of the events of the last year. And I will say this, that where a church void of the spirit who will not stand for truth ends, I will not lose an ounce of sleep. Because that is not the church that Jesus came to plant. The church that Jesus came to plant is filled with the Spirit and will always be led to truth, to standing for truth, to being immovable around truth, and for always pointing people back to the mission and never getting distracted by shadow missions. We're not social organizations. We don't exist just to uh, be like this good neighbor. No, we exist to proclaim the message of the gospel. No matter what, no matter how much the world says, you can't say those things anymore. If you want to be a good neighbor, you got to act like this. If it ain't in here, I don't have to do any of it. And the season finally of the murky middle ground of, well, what do you believe? Do you think this is right or wrong? Can we somehow dance in the middle? No, you can't. Pick a side. Are you on his side or their side? The spirit's side or the world's side? Jesus' side or the devil's side? There's only two. 
There's only two. And as for me and my house, and as for us and this church, we will serve the Lord. So they can use whatever words you want to describe us, whatever you want to call us. But I'll tell you what the Bible calls us, disciples of Jesus. That's the only label I care about. It's the only label I care about. And the only way, the only way to endure The only way to endure the suffering, the only way to stay on mission, and the only way to take every action of boldness that we have been called is to know how to root ourselves in spirit-filled prayer. Individually and corporately. And I I even missed a, a little bit there. Individually and as a family. As a mom on Mother's Day, dad, all of these things that I've just spoken, the fruit of the Spirit and your spiritual gifts and a waging war in the spiritual, you do that in your family first. You start there and you make sure you win that war first. And faith of your brothers and sisters in Christ will believe with you. Where even though it may seem like the battle has been lost in an area, that it isn't. And so we'll have faith even if yours is waning a bit. We'll have faith to stand with you and to pray with you even when you don't see it ever coming back, whatever it is. And so we'll walk with you and pray in faith that God can win a battle that we can't see. Next two weeks, I'm going to talk about what it looks like when we do this corporately and how when God moves through his corporate church in his spirit, it is the most unstoppable thing the world has ever seen. Let's pray. Father, pray that you would just be taking scales off of our eyes. Helping us see what is really going on. Help us not to fall asleep in the season that we have been called to. May your church always be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. As Paul instructed Timothy, may we always preach the word of God. May we not be shy about truth that leads to freedom and not embrace lies that leads to slavery. May we be a spirit-filled people knowing how to pray as you taught us. And may every individual, every family, and us corporately and collectively as a church walk hand in hand in your spirit to accomplish the things that you would call us to accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.